Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Here's here's the list of things that I've been watching recently, and you can make a judgment on how highbrow or lowbrow I am. Uh, I've been re-watching Wings from the 90s. Oh. The, yeah, the airport show in Nantucket. The uh, scene where Tony Shalhoub is learning to play the guitar, and he's humming, um, <laughs> and then he starts singing, My goat knows. The bowling score. <laughs> My goat knows the bowling score. And they're like, no, no, Antonio, that's not it. Our buddy Doc Julen just sent me a playlist of NRBQ, so I'm diving into the, oh. the NRBQ back catalog. So that's a band I've always respected, and a lot of people I love love them. And so I want to. I want to get a little better taste of that. And as you know, there's a Chicago connection there with uh, some guys who play uh, in that current uh, iteration. So, uh, yeah, NRBQ is at the top of the playlist right now. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel, Sunday mornings on The Score. It is indeed Hit and Run, The Score's venerable baseball show on a Sunday morning. Good morning to you, Len Casper. Play-by-play man for the Chicago Cubs, who joins us on the Alpamonte Ford Hotline. Alpamonte Ford is in Melrose Park. What's up, Len? Hey, Matt. Uh, just looks like another nice day here. A little cool, but sun is shining. We should be playing some baseball somewhere. Yeah, we should. I agree. And I would say good morning to our friend Jason Benetti, but I think the man is sleeping. I have to give him credit, Len, as I know you would, he did Korean baseball organization baseball this morning, which means uh, you you know he's done it, and your buddy Boog Shambi has done it. It means what a two a.m. wake up, two fifteen, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, the games are typically at five four thirty our time. Uh huh. So yeah, he he might be uh, he might be conked out right now. Sean, can you do a Jason Benetti impression? Uh, or do we have, do we have a full sound library of Jason Benetti words that you can just plug and play and make it sound like we've got the robotic version? Probably not. Yeah, I definitely don't have either of those, and I would okay. need to build out the Benetti sound lab- library uh, right. on well, more than two seconds' notice. Well, un- understood, understood. So, Len, this has turned into you and me having a conversation, and that's oh boy. fine by me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Like, that's the worst thing that ever happened to the world. No, it's all good. (laughs) All good. 
Um, you know, it's uh, there's a lot that I want to talk to you about, and, uh, and most of it involves Jason. We're going to talk about him and then send this to him um, angrily, right? I think that's the way, the proper way to handle this as a friend and colleague. Would you agree? Right, yeah. right. Nothing better than complete panic when he wakes up. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. 75 texts. Where were you? How dare you? Don't you know how important the 10 a.m. guest slot is? I had such grand plans, though. I wanted to do, like, trust exercises, a version of that. I know you guys have done that kind of thing before, but, Len, what do you Never appreciate? Never on the air, though. <laughs> Len, what do you appreciate the most about Jason? You know? Jason, wow. what do you appreciate the most about Len? I had all sorts of Barbara Walters-esque bits lined up and ready to go. Well, it's a really good question. I've known him for a long time, uh, since he was doing uh, AAA games in Syracuse and, and some ESPN work. And I I fell in love with his sound uh, immediately. Like the first demo I ever heard, I was like, this guy's big league. And the fact that he ended up back in his hometown with the White Sox is, is really a great story. He's Maybe the smartest person I know. I don't know how you feel about it, but there's no pop culture reference that he doesn't get. Uh, he's got a legal background. Uh, yeah, he just he always has a quick line for something you're talking about, and it's it's pretty amazing for a guy who's only what 36. Yeah, something like yeah, the that. maturity is just off the charts. So I think he's amazing. He's as good as anyone in in our business at at what we do. I've had a lot of play-by-play uh, uh, -play guys who I know well, who don't know Jason well, who have just unsolicited said, I think he's the best young broadcaster in the business. So, yeah, that that's him as a, as a broadcaster. And then as a human being, he's just very kind and generous and open and communicative and loves to have 35-minute chats on the phone about stuff that has nothing to do with baseball. And I love that. See, that's beautiful. Um, that's beautiful. And then I, I agree with so much of that. And this kind of mutual admiration society that you two live in is, uh, is something I've been lucky enough to, um, to, to infiltrate by getting to work with both of you uh, on some things. Um, and it's, it's it, you know, we'll look back on this, this work stoppage, which I think it eventually will be remembered as for baseball, which is sad. But we'll look back on the pandemic that turned into a work stoppage uh, as an opportunity of sorts to create some content, to deepen some relationships at your home, to rekindle some contact with some friends, which I know a lot of people have done, to delve into TV series and the like. It's been... It's been quite something. And what Jason and I have gotten a chance to work on is I, I, this never would have happened if we were all consumed with baseball. So I've got I've got some gratitude for that kind of thing in this moment. Yeah, you got you have to find the silver linings. And I, I, I think kind of the, the obvious benefit to this, uh, understanding that most of it's been awful and we, we'd like it to end as soon as possible. Of but the, the big one is just appreciating all the things we may have, if not taken for granted, you know, just didn't fully appreciate. And for me, the the baseball side of it, of course I miss the games. Uh, I miss broadcasting. But I, more than anything, miss the uh, daily conversations in person with dozens of people. And those conversations and those people change on a daily basis. 
that's what I miss the most. You know, the, the social distancing stuff um, has kept us from really being in each other's space in, in, in a good way. And uh, I, I think about being at the ballpark for upwards of, you know, eight hours a day, like a typical work day, even though yeah. it's, it's, it's being uh, at Wrigley Field and just all we do is talk. That's all we do is talk to each other and to have that missing from our lives. Uh, I really will never take any of that for granted ever again. Yeah, no, that's, 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 that's well said. Just, and it's not, it's, it's not just with your colleagues. It's with whoever you happen to see in the hallway. It's with security people. It's with, you know, a few fans here and there, uh, folks from other teams, all that kind of social stuff that is the lifeblood of the ballpark is what you end up missing as much of the games, don't you? No doubt. And, uh, yeah, I just miss my friends, you know, hmm. uh, not, not to drop a Shawshank Redemption quote, but I, I, miss, I miss my friends. <laughs> well, we'll all, we'll all be together in some baseball version of Zuatanejo at, uh, at, at, <laughs> at some point. Um, Len, Len Casper with us here on Hit and Run. Um, had a chance the other day to talk to Dan Bernstein about pills. Um, see, I want to talk about good comp, bad comp, which is what me and Jason did with you, and then talk about the 45, which is the band that you and I do together with Jason. Um, but, but he blew us off for something wonderful like sleep, which, of which I am nothing but envious. Um, but I had a chance to talk with, with Bernsey the other day about the 45. For those who don't know, this is your band, our band, your songs, and the single is now out. The single is out on Bandcamp. And I, I, we've got a little bit of a chunk of it. We won't play the whole thing, but let's let people hear a chunk of, of pills uh, right here on a Sunday morning um, as written by Len Casper and recorded by him and me and Doc Julin and Liam Davis and Gerald Dowd and produced by Liam. This is Pills from the 45. They can't see wondering sean why we're not just playing the whole damn thing maybe we will later you know it's it's sunday morning i'll do what i want but you know it i, I i'm so i'm so pleased with how that turned out and every time i hear it i like it a little bit more lynn i gotta say so i but how's this feel for you to finally have a song of yours that's getting radio airplay that's getting discussion that's up on Bandcamp that people are actually listening to and some are even buying for a dollar as they can it's uh it's pretty cool uh yeah it's been a long time coming as you know on the eve of my 45th birthday, I just kind of had that midlife epiphany. If I'm ever going to do something on my own and create a concept and a band and all of that, I, I need to do it now or it's never going to happen. And that was one of the, the first songs I wrote. And there's some metaphorical stuff that we we sing about and write about and talk about in the band. But this one is... I would say pretty literal. Uh, you can take it a few different ways, but, uh, you know, just kind of writing about personal stuff that other people, I think, deal with and other people at our age typically deal with. And at our age, it's not necessarily talked about like it might be 
uh, at a younger age. And I just think that it's important to Hmm. acknowledge that life doesn't necessarily get less messy or less tricky as time goes on. And I think when I was young, and I don't know how you felt, it's like, well, when I'm 40, everything will be perfect, right? (laughs) That's just not not how it works. You navigate through it. You might have a little more wisdom. You may have some tools to help you better get through it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that every year that goes by, life gets uh, less messy. I absolutely thought there was going to be a, a point where I would have figured everything out and just sailed smoothly through the rest of my days. Absolutely yep. assumed that was coming. Um, and I, I've, I remember others, I remember somebody saying to me, you know, I'm just kind of ready for the show to start, ready for the show of my life to start. Like, no, that's not how it works. You're not just in rehearsal for the whole time and then the show starts. It's just kind of, it's happening and you better realize it's happening all the time uh, around you. So, no, I think th- I think that's well said. Um, I noticed that there was a national shortage of Zoloft going on right now in the midst of this pandemic, or it's mm. it's generic uh, uh, partner sertraline. There is a national shortage, which is quite fascinating and, and understandable of sorts. Yeah, and I'm not saying you know medication for for anxiety and depression is for everybody. Uh, I just think that uh, for some people, like me, and I'm only speaking for myself, but, you know, I've heard from other people uh, that uh, it's scary sometimes to admit that you might need a little uh, uh, help with uh, chemical. We've lost Len Casper. That's all right. You know, we don't need anybody. We don't need anybody for this show. We don't need the, uh, the guy who's sleeping. And we certainly don't. Actually, get him back, because I have one idea. I have one idea of something we should do um, if when we get Len Casper back. So, so, so try him back. Len, are you there? We I am here. Him. Howdy. I was interrupted, but that's okay. Uh, yes. It happens. Mm-hmm. No, I would, you know, what I was saying was just that I think sometimes it's hard to admit that you might need some help. And, and, and I suppose pills can mean a lot of different things. It can mean therapy. Uh, right. It can mean literally <laughs> taking some medication. And uh, I just think that, uh, it, it's important to acknowledge that some of these things, a lot of these things, maybe most of these things uh, are not something that you create, that there's something that you just have to deal with. And sometimes we need some help. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a scary song to write, but uh, I thought we pulled it off and it was kind of the right song to do because it was scary. And the genre, I think, fits. Uh, there's some moody tension in, in the music. And I, I kind of want music that kind of gets deep into your soul, maybe makes you smile, maybe makes you cry, and hopefully makes you dance. <laughs> <laughs> Dancing while crying pretty much sums up the state of uh, everything, including yeah. baseball negotiations right now. That, that, you know, except, except the dancing part. Um, so, yeah, and the lyrics, the full lyrics are available on the site. So what, people can find it on Twitter at The45Music um, and can find it on Bandcamp by searching The45, correct? Yeah, uh, you know, I've uh, tweeted it, and I know you have, and you know, people can go to my, my Twitter handle, at Len Casper. Uh, the, essentially, the, the website or the, the, the handle for the, the band is at the 45 Music. That is both Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. And it's not only Bandcamp, but you can find it now on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, I believe Amazon. It's just about everywhere digitally that uh, you can find 
and uh, hopefully you'll uh, hear it on some more radio stations. As, as baseball has continued to evolve and embrace the importance of mental skills, and the Cubs were very early and aggressive um, in terms of getting ahead of, of, you know, having a department like this, a mental skills department for players to have as a resource. What do you make of the connection between the sport that you've ended up working in and choosing to live your life accompanied by and, and the issues that you're talking about? It's kind of fascinating, isn't it? Because the, there might be no sport more challenging than baseball in terms of dealing with that, th- those anxieties and, and, and the, the tendency, the, the possibility of depression. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I know so many accomplished and Hall of Fame caliber players who have made comments to me to the effect of, I don't know if I'm ever going to get another hit uh, or I'm never going to get another out. Uh, We talked to Hall of Famer Billy Williams on our uh, Cubs uh, official podcast called Open Concessions last week, and he said, regarding his National League record games played streak, which I believe was uh, 1,100 games. He didn't miss a game in seven straight seasons. Hmm. And at the crux of the streak was, I was afraid I would lose my job. Now here's one of the best (laughs) left-handed hitters of his era who never would have lost his job had he taken three or four days off in a row, saying that he was afraid that if he took one day off, that was it. So that that explains a lot about this game. And I'm sure Mike Trout has been in stretches during which he's gone 0 for 9, 1 for 12. Not a lot of those, but, man, you go three or four days without a hit, I don't care who you are, Mm -hmm. that'll give you anxiety. So it's totally built into the game. And then on top of that, if you have just, quote, normal people who deal with everyday things like you and I do, think about how difficult that is. And I think the mental skills stuff has been uh, amazing to see. Uh, It's been a long time coming. I think it's been around the game, Matt, for a long time, but it hasn't Mm -hmm. been talked about much because I do think there was a stigma against it. But you'd be hard-pressed now to find a major league team that doesn't have multiple mental skills coaches, and I think it's a, it's a great thing that we've seen. The first instance that I remember is John Smoltz. That's the first, at least open, shared nationally um, moment of a player saying that they reached out and, and, and got help, and it, and it changed things. Uh, you remember, I'm sure there's incidences before that, but I just never heard about it. Yeah, and, you know, really, I think a lot of it goes back to uh, Steve Blass, Steve Sachs, and a lot of the throwing issues. Uh, I think that at that time, psychologists were recruited uh, to try to figure out, you know, these throwing issues. Uh, In some cases, it worked. In other cases, it didn't. Um, But, yeah, you know, I'm I'm sure in golf, you hear about the yips, and you've got the best in the world who can't hit a six-inch putt. Uh, and, and that's scary. And when you see that happen and you feel like your livelihood is on the line, uh, you know, you, you, you need to get some assistance. And sometimes you just you just cannot do it all on your own. Let me recommend a book to anybody who's listening and maybe needs a book in this uh, in these downtimes. The Art of Fielding. I don't know if you ever read it, Len, The Art of Fielding about uh, about the college shortstop who develops the yips and can't find 
and can't find it. It's a beautiful debut novel uh, by a guy named Chad Harback. It ties into Herman Melville, of all things, but it's it's one of my favorite books in the last decade. I don't know if you ever had a chance. I will to check it out. It. Yeah, I highly, highly recommend The Art of Fielding. All right, last thing I want to do with you. Um, uh, Jason Benetti is sleeping, understandably. He has his, because he did Korean baseball organization this morning. He slept through our interview, and we will not uh, be upset with him about that. I think we should. Leave him a voicemail. Um, his voicemail does not give up his phone number at all. So I think we could call and leave him a voicemail in so he feels okay about it because I don't want him to feel guilty. It's all right. You know? Yeah. No, that, that's true. And by the way, I, I did have, and I did not have a long dissertation, yes. but I did have a good comp, bad comp. Oh, Idea, Excellent. if you want to hear it real quick. I do, I do. Please so I enjoy do. The, the idea, and, and for people who haven't seen your YouTube videos, the idea is you take a baseball player, and instead of comparing him to another baseball player, which is something we do, uh, you compare him to something non-baseball related, correct? Yes, absolutely. So absolutely. mine would be Edwin Jackson, <laughs> and my, my comp would be Kevin Bacon. Oh, that's lovely. Edwin has played for, I believe, a major league record 14 teams. If you check out Kevin Bacon's Wikipedia page, it has, yes. I believe it has three rows in terms of films, and then it says, you know, hit this button for 69 more rows. So he's been in like 70-plus <laughs> movies. You have six degrees of, sep- of separation with Kevin Bacon. Yes. So I, I just feel like Edwin Jackson is the six degrees of separation in our sport. Now that's Is that a good, good, bad, good comp, bad comp. I love that. That that would be fun, and 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 to do it as a good comp or bad comp, um, Jason or I would need to flesh it out, and we'd find some things in the the history of both Edwin Jackson and uh, and Kevin Bacon. Th- those are my my favorite things. Like when I found that Ricky Henderson, who I comped to Prince, right? When I found out that Prince released his twenty fifth album in the 25th and final season of Ricky Henderson's baseball career. Oh, like yeah. the, the joy that that kind of thing gave me was just just ridiculous. So I'd find something to tie in Kevin Bacon more directly to Edwin Jackson. I love All that. right, well, maybe you guys can, uh, can dig in on that one here on one of your episodes coming yeah. up. Uh, it's beautiful. Uh, Barry Rosner and I used to have a bit called Six Degrees of Kevin Tappany. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it never really got fully developed, but that was kind of the fun, was just to talk about it and never to actually do it. Absolutely. Exactly sure how to do that. All right, let's leave, um, let's leave a voicemail for Jason Bonetti and tell him it's okay. Sean Anderson, thank you for your help. Go ahead and dial Jason, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll yell at him mildly and then reassure him convincingly. Some dialing music would be good right now. Hold on. Okay. I thought this was going to work much more easier. It's coming yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Sean, Sean's working on it. Um, you'll be fine if you take your <laughs> pill. <laughs> the lounge version, Len. <laughs> if you leave a message, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Thanks. At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Hi, Jason. Uh, This is Matt Spiegel. I host a radio show called Hit and Run. You're supposed to be on right now. I'm here with uh, somebody else. Hey, wake up. (laughs) Where are you? I think he's sleeping. He did Korean baseball in the morning, and I understand. He's busy. He's frazzled. We really just wanted to call to say it's okay. 
We don't want you to wake up, see texts, and be like, oh, my God, I've let you down. It's, it's all right. We're, we're fine, right? Len, you okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm totally fine. And uh, we just want to make sure that you got a good morning sleep. Enjoy your day, and uh, we'll do this again some other time, buddy. Some other time. Some other time. It looks like baseball's inactivity might buy us a few more weeks, Jason. I think we'll have a chance. Um, all right, get some rest. Love you. Bye. Bye. All right, good. Whew. I, I, I just want him to feel good. I don't want him to wake up and be stressed out or unhappy. <laughs> Thanks, man. He'll get a kick out of that. I think so. Thank you, Len Casper. Thanks, Matt Spiegel. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you. That is Len Casper, the play-by-play voice of the uh, Chicago Cubs, joining us. And um, no, we didn't have Jason Benetti, but I think we all survived. All survived. Good comp, bad comp. I've told you about it before. have played it for you. Randy Johnson is upcoming. You will enjoy the comps that Jason Benetti and I found for Randy Johnson. Top of the hour, Theo Epstein. His conversation with Lawrence Holmes was must-listen radio. We will listen to it together at 11 o'clock right here on 670 The Score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. It's time to check out the comp and circumstance. For a ball player of note, as we do every week, Jason Benetti and I working on good comp, bad comp. In the first one, Bartolo Colon was deemed by you, the viewer, more similar to a McDonald's shamrock shake than the painter Pablo Picasso. In the second one, Ricky Henderson was deemed more similar to music icon Prince than he was to WWE's The Ultimate Warrior. How about Randy Johnson? What would we do for the big unit? How do you comp the big unit to anything except a ball player? I went first this time. Randy Johnson is almost exactly like the Washington Monument. The Washington Monument like Randy, started out awkwardly. Randy struggled mightily with his control early on, led the league in walks for three straight years, hit batsmen for two years. The Washington Monument construction was halted early on for 23 years due to a struggle for control over the National Monument Society. My God, folks, you can't make this stuff up. Initially, it was supposed to be more complicated. The Washington Monument was supposed to have Washington in a chariot leading six horses and all this crap. Randy's delivery was complicated. Elbows, knees flying everywhere as he evolved. It got simpler. It it got more streamlined. For five years, beginning in 1884, the Washington Monument was the tallest structure in the world until it was eclipsed by the Eiffel Tower. Randy Johnson, for a while, 
was the tallest pitcher in the history of MLB until he was eclipsed by former White Sox uh, pitcher John Rauch, who incidentally, his nickname was Eiffel. It wasn't, but it should be. So I was hoping on that one. All right, then this. Randy Johnson famously accidentally killed a bird with a pitch as it flew in front of him during his windup. Get this, a 1935 study found that migrating birds were killed in the dozens with regularity by flying into the Washington Monument. It was not uncommon to collect, and this is a direct quote, a bushel full of dead birds at the base of the monument just from the course of one evening. The Washington Monument and Randy Johnson, perfect comps. What do you got? I'm repulsed by the visual of a bushel of dead birds, but I'll, I'll soldier on with my comparison because I believe Randy Johnson is almost exactly like, using your language, The Great Gatsby, the F. Scott Fitzgerald novel. Randy Johnson is in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Great Gatsby was chosen as the best book ever by USA Today in 2014. Randy Johnson led the league in strikeouts nine times. Jay Gatsby and his parties were dedicated to excess, like Randy Johnson's strikeouts. Randy Johnson pitched during the height of the home run surge. The Great Gatsby is dedicated to fun in the Prohibition era. Randy Johnson went into movies and starred in Little Big League. Great Gatsby, to very little success, really, if you watch him, uh, was adapted into a movie multiple times. For Randy Johnson, as you mentioned, control was an issue leading the league in walks in three straight years. Control was an issue in The Great Gatsby, uh, throwing those lavish parties once again. And everyone drives poorly in The Great Gatsby, literally everyone. Quote about Randy Johnson from Nolan Ryan, he was just pitching and not doing a lot of thinking. So there was a lot of recklessness and death in The Great Gatsby. Daisy Buchanan accidentally kills Myrtle Wilson at the end of the book, which very much sounds like the death of that bird that you were talking about. Quote <laughs> from Gatsby, it takes two to make an accident, as Randy Johnson and the bird did. Uh, they were careless people, Tom and Daisy. They smashed up things and let other people clean up the mess they had made. Um, the one thing that, that really makes this comparison land, though, is Randy Johnson, there's that picture of him looking over his glove with the eyes, right? The staring, the, just the menacing stare. Dr. T.J. Eckelberg, who is, I believe, an optometrist, is one of the major symbolic points of the great Gatsby. His eyes are on the billboards watching over these terrible people. The eyes gazing down on the populace like Randy Johnson's eye over his glove. Great Gatsby, Randy Johnson, one and the same. Oh, my goodness. It's a tough battle between one of the great novels in the history of literature and the Washington Monument. A giant obelisk in a field versus a book for Randy Johnson. I just tweeted the link to the YouTube video as well as a poll. So please vote. Now that you've heard it, if you uh, wouldn't mind, go over to the Twitter page and, um, and give it a vote. You know I won. It's okay. I think I won at Bushel Full of Dead Birds. Right, Sean? I mean, I think that kind of... I, I mean, I knew... Here was my thought process. was, all right, I need to comp something to Randy Johnson. What I need is something really, really tall that struggled at the beginning for control. That, that, that's what I needed. So I'm like, all right, see, did they have a hard time building the Eiffel Tower? No, apparently not. Did they have a hard time building Washington Monument? 23 years they paused. Got it. Well, that was the best part about the whole thing was when you said that John Rauch's nickname was the Eiffel. 
Did you buy it for a moment? Just for a moment? A little bit. You know, I think if you didn't say, you know, it would have been nice. I think if you went with it and just said John Rauch's nickname was, was Eiffel, Eiffel, I think people would have went with it. Uh, <laughs> but I couldn't do that. I didn't want, like, people in Rauch's life to go find him and, and say, hey, Eiffel, what's up, man? I remember uh. John Rauch for two things, his famous Eiffel nickname and giving up uh, two home runs to Mike Cameron when he hit four against the Sox. Oh, yes, sir. It doesn't matter how tall you are when Mike Cameron's on fire, mister. Top of the hour, you'll hear from Theo Epstein, who spoke with our Lawrence Holmes right here on 670 The Score. But before that, let's talk about a couple things. One of which I want to talk about with you is uh, the documentary coming tonight. And I'm wondering what intrigues you about it. What what storylines intrigue you about it? And I want to talk about our feelings from that summer, that long gone summer of 1998. And then I want to talk about two stand-up comics whose work I watched, both of them, yesterday and have completely different feelings about the two of them. So we'll, we'll, we'll mix that in as well. It's all here, hit and run on 670 The Score. Two outs, ninth inning, and the 1-1. Sammy drives one! Get out the tape measure! Long gone! I don't believe it! Sammy Sosa ties the game! Man, see, that's the thing. I just got chills. That happened. That happened. I know that Sammy and Mark were filthy. I know it. Part of me knew it then, didn't want to believe it or just didn't want to deal with it or rationalized it enough to allow myself to enjoy the season. So that makes me guilty. I get it. Makes me complicit. I'll wear it. I was young, uh, but I was in the business. It, I wasn't, didn't really have a loud voice. I was on, let's see, 98. I was on every Sunday morning on the score between 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. Now look at me. I've, I've moved up to 9 to 12. Impressive, huh, Sean? Only took me uh, 22 years. You got an extra hour, too. <laughs> Now, there was a foray there in the middle where I left, went to Sporting News Radio and did Saturday and Sunday mornings, then left the score altogether and moved out to L.A. with Sporting News, then came back and did middays for a decade, as you know, and now back with you on a Sunday, which is, which is ironic. But at the time, yeah, so I, you know, I, had, I had a show for an hour or two on Sunday morning, um, did a lot of fantasy baseball, didn't pontificate a lot on the game. Now I'm just, oof. I'm all, all full of pontification. It's all pontificating all the time around these parts. But, yeah, I enjoyed the hell out of that summer. And I wonder what the chills that I just got were about. Just the majesty of the moment. Boy, it was that unmistakable crack of the bat. Pat Hughes' voice booming. The Wrigley crowd exploding. All the visuals that a well-crafted radio call will thrust into your head. Right. But I'm sure I was listening at the time to that game. So it takes me back to whichever moment it was. I don't remember where I was for that particular game, but I do remember two or three different moments of not leaving my car when I was in the parking spot behind the building where I lived 
on Medill, right near Fullerton and Western, tucked back in there, right near some great bars. Rich's first one today, not far from the Charleston. I think it was Mickey's was the bar at the end of a double dead end there at Medill and Levitt. One of those crazy Chicago bars, as was Rich's first one today, where you'd go by on a Thursday night at 9 o'clock and the bar is closed. No one there, doors are locked, no one's there. Then he'd walk by on a Monday morning at 11. Eight people, eight people at the bar on a Monday morning at 11 hanging out. Chicago, baby. On Sundays, they'd watch a football game and everybody would bring a little something. They'd make, I know they made hot dogs, but then everybody would bring some snacks or somebody would make cupcakes. Remember, I was in there one time and I was like, I have no right to have any of that stuff. I didn't bring anything. But anyway, so I remember sitting in my car behind the house waiting to hear Pat make those calls. It could have been one of those. Maybe that's where the chills came from. I'm really looking forward to living in that time again tonight. I'm told that they don't even bring up steroids until 48 minutes or so into the thing. And that's that's interesting because I, I suspect that the effect that will have the effect that that will have is it's going to allow you to live in the naivete for a little while. And that year did allow you to live in the naivete for a while. It wasn't until the AP writer found the androstene dione in Mark's locker that conversations began. But I heard Mike Mulligan talking this week, I think to Pat Hughes, maybe it was yesterday or Friday, I should say. And Mully, who was on the sports writers on TV at the time, said it reminded people of some of the context around it. Like, Andro, all right, well, in the NFL, uh, you know, people use stuff like that because you got to be stronger. In baseball, that wouldn't help you. Could that really help you to have Andro or steroids in baseball? You still got to swing and hit the ball. That We didn't realize the overarching effects quite yet. Weren't really well-versed on it as we entertained the possibility, the fact that it improved your bat speed dramatically. Go back and watch McGuire's bat speed. Watch that tonight. Watch how fast and fluidly a man with that kind of bulging muscularity, musculature, muscles, um, gets the bat through the zone. It's outrageous. We didn't realize how it helps you recover from workouts so well. So you can work out again and again and again and build muscle and again and again and again. We didn't realize that. But with that aforementioned bat speed, that's where the power comes from. And then there's the confidence, right? There's the confidence that, you know, I have the quickest bat in the world right now. I'm absolutely rolling. What does that do for you at the plate? To know that all I need to do is get the bat of the ball. This thing's going out. I got it. That's transformative, right? We didn't know about all those effects quite the same way that we do now. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to watching this tonight, and I will hold myself accountable. I'm on tomorrow uh, for the McNeil and Parkins show. It's me and Zach Zabin, and I think Ron Coomer is going to join us for an hour. Tonight, at the very conclusion, at the very conclusion tonight, of long gone summer, you should tune into the score because, and you can update me with the exact time and details, Sean, if you got him there. I think it is, is Pat, it's Pat Hughes 
and Coombe and Bruce, right? And Bruce Levine. Yeah, it's, th- it's that trio. And mm-hmm. uh, they'll be on right after the documentary ends and they'll be uh, taking phone calls. That's pretty cool. So Pat and Ron and Bruce tonight. Tomorrow, me and Zach and Ron for part of the afternoon as well. We'll react to that and, and, and deal with uh, the entirety the entirety of the situation. That's for sure. Texters getting in at 312-644-6767. This uh, texter says, uh, Gatsby did not kill Myrtle. Daisy did. My English teacher wife is very upset with Jason Benetti right now. (laughs) I'll pass that on. I didn't remember. I don't know. This texter says, takes two to make an accident. Hey, Benetti, stop victim shaming the bird buddy there you go um and several other textures uh, coming in with different items about this thing tonight mully uh, a, a texture reminds me that mully told the other sports writers on that show that andrew had already been banned by the nfl the other sports writers didn't want to believe that it would have any effect on the ability to hit a baseball that was the conversation you can hear Mully and Haw tomorrow morning, of course, on 670 The Score. All right, I mentioned two bits of stand-up. Um, number one, Dave Chappelle uh, quietly released a 28-minute stand-up set called 846. That's the amount of time that Derek Chauvin kneeled on the neck of George Floyd. That is the impetus for Dave Chappelle's set. And it's fascinating to see the lengths that he had to go to to do a live set. It was outside. He was in a gazebo. The crowd was in a field. They were, uh, the seats were marked off. They sat in pairs, that they came, having come together, and were socially distant. The areas were taped off. Everybody had their temperature taken on the way in. Everybody who was working there had masks, and it was all outside and safe. That is according to Dave Chappelle, he said this is the first concert to take place in America since this thing began. A concert of any kind. That's fascinating. I don't know if that's true, but that part of it was fascinating. And then Chappelle is just, he's just very, very real and very raw. And he's never been afraid to go out there and workshop stuff. And that's what he was doing, sitting there with the book. A lot of it was um, emotional and um, angry. And there wasn't as much humor as you might have uh, suspected in a 30-minute Dave Chappelle set, but that's to be expected in this matter of time. And he is uh, sometimes controversial, but, man, that is an honest guy about his own flaws, about his own life. And it's incredibly compelling, difficult to watch, but worthwhile. That's one. Number two for me was I I decided to give in and watch the Louis C.K. special. You watched it, Sean? I watched Chappelle. I didn't watch Louis C.K. Yeah. I mean, Louis available on his website. He was certainly one of my content creation heroes, not just comic, but anything. I mean, a lot of the stuff that he made was just absolutely brilliant. Louis, the TV show was amazing, and Horace and Pete, and so much stand-up. So much And then Me Too happened, and that all went down, and his apology, his apology really did not acknowledge the power that he had, and how that is what made the imbalance and made it uncomfortable and unfair and damaging to so many of those women. He didn't really acknowledge that, didn't get the sense that he really understood that that was the big deal. 
And he went away, moved to France, found a girlfriend there, continued gigging, came back, and now this set is released. And he doesn't, he doesn't really get to the stuff that happened to him and because of him until later on. And then he talks about it for four or five minutes. And he makes a lot of excuses for himself. He talks about what he learned and what he learned, he says, is about consent. You know, ask somebody if they say yes, ask again. Ask him again. Okay, that's one component within this within this acknowledgement at the end of which he says, and that's all I'm going to say about that turns around. He again, not once, not at all. Admits or mentions that the power disparity isn't that what Me Too was about as much as anything. People like Harvey Weinstein or Matt Lauer or Louis C.K. or anybody using their standing to get whatever the hell they wanted because people were afraid or people thought they would get somewhere or they felt trapped and all of that. He has no apology for that and seemingly no understanding of that. And I lost so much respect for the guy as I watched that. I got so angry for this dude who was one of my absolute heroes. So funny, so prolific, so seemingly raw and real. But all the things he used to say about, you know, being a bad person and admitting that some of those things were inside of him, it all came with the undercurrent of us believing that he was a good person. You know? Like, he used to have this incredible bit about... used to have this incredible bit about how... He liked to do things that made him feel like a good person, but wouldn't actually do them. The bit was that, uh, you know, I, I, here's what I, I like to think about doing good things and not actually do them and still benefit from the feeling. Like, I'll be in first class. It was a Louis C.K. bit. I used to quote it all the time. Made me laugh. I'll be in first class and I'll see a soldier get on the plane and I'll say, you know what? I should give up my seat. I should give that man my seat. That would be a good thing to do. I don't actually do it, but I think about it. And I still, I take the feeling of like, I'm such a good person. Look at me. I'm such a good person. It's a very funny bit. And it's all okay if underneath it all, you're admitting that you, you know, you could be a better person. He didn't admit that he could be a better person as he talked about this. Didn't. And we could all be better people. Not, not self-aware, not really working on his stuff. And if you're not working on your stuff, I lose respect for you. No matter what it is. Everybody's got their thing. Everybody's got their hurdle. Me, I'm narcissistic. I'm selfish. I know. I, I'm all sorts of stuff. I'm working on it. Louis. Louis's not really working on it. He's fine. He's just moving on. It's like Lance Armstrong in that way. It, it, I got angry at Louis yesterday. And I spent the day angry. It sucked. And then I'm angry at baseball. Good times. So things I love, I'm getting angry at. But not you guys, not the listeners. How do you sleep at night, right? Can you live with yourself? And I can't. And I can, no problem. Lance Armstrong, no problem. I got it. I'm good. Good grab out of you from Sean. Anyway, 670, the score is where you are. I'm pleased to have a uh, moment on Sunday mornings to talk with you about all sorts of stuff, baseball and everything else. It is hit and run. We have no baseball. We may not have no baseball for a while again, but we have baseball people who have conversations and some of them are very healthy to listen to. Um, Theo Epstein once said to me and Danny Parkins off the air after we had said, Hey, you sounded good in that interview. And he once said, it's always easy to talk. 
Yeah, it is for him. Here's Theo Epstein when we come back with our Lawrence Holmes on 670 The Score. Chris Kampka a little bit later on. I'm Matt Spiegel, and Hit and Run is here until noon. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t-mobile.com.